Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. Really fun show today with Tommy Martin. Tommy was on the show several years ago, and since then, his life has changed dramatically. He is, I say, Dr. Tommy Martin. So he was hired uh, at two of the most well-round, well-regarded hospitals in the United States, both up in the Boston area. Uh, he has now become the TikTok famous with his approach to uh, sharing stuff on social media regarding medicine and his fitness journey as an endurance athlete. Uh, just a really interesting guy that I love talking to. And in this episode, we didn't dive too much into his bio because he's already been on the podcast before, but we did touch on parts of it while also talking about endurance training in a crazy busy life. Also, he's a very strong individual. He has some powerlifting goals as well, in addition to some major endurance goals. So we had fun talking about that and just the foundations of how to build an endurance lifestyle while also having an extremely busy life. And not only is he just, not only is he an endurance athlete, but his wife is as well. So there's a lot of stuff going on with Tommy. I'm really excited about that. Also, a shout out to Lagoon. Tomorrow's the Lagoon 888 challenge. That's eight miles a day, eight days in a row, and eight hours of sleep a night. You can go basically one more day to do it. Starts tomorrow on August 8th. Starts on 8-8. So go to lagoonsleep.com 8x8x8 and it'll send you over to um, that website to register, and you'll be good to go. Um, and also, finally, are you looking for a coach? Because I'm bringing on new athletes. So I'm a coach with McCurdy Trained, one of the best, one of the biggest, if not the best, online coaching service in the country. And I've just really enjoyed my time as a coach. I've been coaching for a long time now. And whether it's helping athletes break three hours in the marathon, to helping Masters runners do that, or even people who are running their first marathon, people trying to break four or any other goal that they have working with athletes, either fresh out of college or Masters athletes as well, has really been super fun and exciting. I actually helped uh, one of my runners hit, she did a 14 miler this weekend, longest run she's ever done in her life. And just like helping athletes like that is incredibly rewarding as well as help, helping other runners break three hours for the first time and you know, in the marathon, something that they've been trying to do for a while and this has been a fun and rewarding experience. It's one of the joys of my life. I don't talk about it on here on the podcast as much as I should, uh, but it's the main part of my life. And if you're looking for a coach, you can either email me at ramblingrunnerpodcast at gmail.com. That's ramblingrunnerpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can just send me a note over on Instagram. Just send me a DM. I'll walk you through the steps and uh, we can get going. Even if you're just looking for an introductory phone call to see if I'm a good fit for you, I'm happy, happy to do that as well. Now, let's get into the episode with Tommy Martin. All right, Dr. Tommy Martin, back on the Rambling Runner podcast. Thank you so much for coming back, my man. Matt, thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. See, since the last time we spoke, so we talked a long time ago, so I had to queue it up on the little Apple podcast. This was May 18th, 2020. Wow. That was a long time ago. A lot, a lot has changed since then. We're not going to get into what's changed in your life as a doctor. And I'll tell you what, a lot has changed in, the, in, in that preceding time. But I will say, a lot of stuff has changed in your life, right? So that first podcast was episode 235. If you want to go back, we do the whole Dr. Tommy Martin 
tell me your background story. It's a really good background story. We'll do like a little elevator pitch here in a second. You can give people like the one minute spiel. But if you want to know the whole, the full, the full download, we do that there. Tommy's been on a bunch of other podcasts as well. There's, there's a lot of places to find that. But we're not going to focus on that today. We do want to pick up where we left off and also just talk about just some stuff about, you know, about athletics, about lifting, what you've learned as an endurance athlete and just the balancing of life as life has changed for you and your family, your wife, who's also a doctor, your son, and the fact that, hey, you now are a New Englander, just like me, which is always a fun thing. So, all right, Tommy, if someone hasn't listened to the the full Tommy Martin experience, just give me like the little 30 to 60 second, like who is Tommy Martin and how did you kind of like come up in the endurance world? Yeah, for sure. So just a short one minute elevator pitch. Uh, I'd say I'm Tommy Martin. I'm a combined internal medicine and pediatric physician who's crazy passionate about my family, fitness, uh, social media, and just striving to do everything I can with all my heart and all my soul um, and doing everything in a way that would glorify God. And how I got into the endurance world was a 10-mile run with my wife, which we do a deep dive in on the podcast, end up with a stress fracture in my foot, and I was like, I'm terrible at this. I don't want to be terrible at this. So I signed up for my first road race, which was a marathon to qualify for the Boston Marathon. Um, and Crazy enough, it ended up happening. And then from there, going into my residency and everything, I said, I want to show that you could be healthy and be a doctor, even during the hardest year, which is intern year. And then from there, I signed up for an Ironman in 16 weeks, did an Ironman, and have been addicted and hooked since. And so that's kind of like the big overview. Uh, outside of those things, I also very active on social media and have a personal training business and do a lot of other things. Yeah. See, it's funny. All my friends who are doctors and endurance athletes, you would think that would be enough. But they always, like, I guess maybe it's like the wheels get turned in literally and metaphorically because then they spin off like 10 more businesses. Like my friend right. Stephanie Flippin is the exact same way. So yeah, I'm taking a step back from the medicine piece. All right. But then she picked up like four other businesses. Right. <laughs> like, oh, my God. It's insane. Yeah. And you're the same way. Like you're super, again, you're very active on social media and then you're doing the, the, the personal training thing as well. And I know you have other aspirations and we don't have to dive into that today, but it's, just, it's, it's really fun and exciting. And one of the big things that's changed in your life beyond just like moving and obviously like you're now living, you know, working in the Boston area and you, you live actually fairly close to me. Actually, I was really close to where you live this morning. I was running <laughs> in Porus with, with my friend Peter Bromka, but I drove through Fall River to get there. Like actually really oh, close to your house. You probably went enough. right by my house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it was like took 24 and then went down into Portsmouth um anyway one of the big things that's changed for you is in that time you've become like really really popular on TikTok with a lot of your content now some of this has been um some some of the endurance content but a lot of it has just been around the medicine the medical piece and I think that's really gained a following what's it been like for you as someone who is in that like short like that short, like bite-sized content space, but talking about things that also have so much layers and kind of like the more words, the better kind of topics. How have you been able to to integrate that in a way that is not only entertaining, but also useful? And as someone who's a physician, know that you're putting out stuff that's, that's high quality. I would think that would be a tough needle to thread for someone in your position. Yeah, I would say it definitely is. And be, 
as being a physician or anybody in the medical field, a medical provider, you have to be extremely careful about what you say. And so with the area of short form content now, I would say that you just have to make sure to double check and rethink everything to make sure that everything that you're gonna be saying is evidence-based and that people cannot take it the wrong way. Unfortunately, on social media, people could take anything you say 10,000 different ways and it could be you know very very challenging but social media in general now there's over there's almost 5 billion people that are active on social media and so no longer do I think it's a privilege um, that doctors get to be on social media I think it's a necessity to stop the spread of misinformation and to combat all of the stuff that's out there and so as Matt was saying I you know, I do a lot of medical content on my social media accounts, but I also do my family content, my fitness stuff, uh, pretty much anything I'm passionate about, I make content about it. Right. Talk to me about that, what you just said about the, like, the kind of the need to be out there in a sense, because I'm sure that, like, there's probably people who, like, who are doctors who would, you know, push back on that. Maybe not, even, like, one of those, like, reasonable minds can disagree kind of vibes, right? Like people, maybe people that you even, that, that your colleagues are like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't necessarily agree, but you know, what, I guess I was going to take this in a certain way. And I'm going to actually change the, the, the course here. Let me put it this way. There are also physicians who are, you can find short form content on that. I know people who are physicians who would just disagree with them implicitly, right? Like that. I don't agree with that statement. I don't agree with where you're taking this. When you are in this position, if you're putting out content and you see another physician putting out content that either contradicts what you're saying, or you just strongly disagree, what's that like for someone in your position? And when do you decide to engage with that sort of thing or just kind of stay, do your own stuff? Yeah, for sure. So I, uh, if I disagree with anybody on social media, whether it be a physician or one of my followers, I just shoot them a DM and talk to, talk about it. I think that every conversation, she, people should be able to have a civil conversation and look at the data, look at the research. There are certain gray areas where we may not know an answer yet, and it's okay to say that we do not know an answer. But there's also areas that are firm, that the research is so good that there's no way to disagree with it. And so if it's on one of those items, uh, then you just go to the research. Research. And it's also important that the people know what good evidence-based research looks like, and that's randomized controlled trials, which is hard to find on certain topics, but then it's not hard to find on some others. And so my approach, um, which is a lot different than others, is just to direct message them, talk it out civilly, and then if we at the end, don't come to an agreement, we could agree to disagree. A lot of other people might make videos bashing or calling them out or things like that. So I don't do that um, <laughs> for the most part. Um, but I do try to correct. Um, I do try to gently correct, I would say, based off the current literature. Um, one other thing I'll just add on to that is there's also a difference in terms of if they're not a physician, right? So I usually will duet those videos and correct. So especially when COVID was going on, there were so many uh, cures for COVID that were not really cures for COVID. And they were going around like crazy. And so I believe that it was an obligation of mine to stop the spread of that misinformation as that could lead to people dying from a severe illness, you know? And so there's definitely different areas uh, about it, but uh, I'd say gently correct with love. <laughs> All right. How is that different in the, the fitness space? Obviously the stakes are so much lower, right? Like, first of all, like obviously yeah. we don't have to get into this. This is a common sense thing that everyone can grasp, right? But 
there is that still that on a kind of like a JV level, let's say like what the medicine side is like the varsity level, the fitness industry is kind of like the JV level, but also much more prevalent of like, you know, people can just say things and, and, you know, either like hype stuff up or come across as like, hey, I'm an expert when maybe like that isn't quite true. And even if they know that they're just trying to like gain purchase in order to like, you know, build their following and build their own business. And um, I don't think people who do that are necessarily bad people, but it's, it's like, it's kind of like steps, like intentional steps to lead to a certain goal. So yeah. when you're in that setting, in the fitness side of things, is your approach different at all? Or how do you approach your own content versus like, you know, stuff that you're seeing out there that you're like, oh, that's, that's tough. Yeah, I would say my approach isn't any different. Uh, I mean, I think okay. we've all probably seen the TikTok and Instagram videos of the shirtless guys in the store calling out different products based off of no evidence except for they want to sell a product that they're selling on their bio or whatever it is. Um, I, I think we've all seen those people. So I would say in the fitness community, there is a literally endless, endless, endless misinformation. And so I would say I do the same thing. I try to gently correct, message people, say, look, I know you're promoting this, but do you actually know what the research shows? Um, and that's if I know the people. If I don't, they can do their own thing. I might make a video duetting it or something. Um, but I will say in the fitness space, you have to be very, very, very careful because just because someone has a nice physique, just because someone can break a three-hour marathon, just because someone can break a 10-hour Ironman does not mean they know what they're talking about okay their their accolades do not uh, equate to their knowledge on the topic not always anyway right right exactly it's it's, it's not it's not it's it's more of that causational versus correlational kind of vibe and that's true but that's it's, it's gonna be hard to dissociate those things right because if you see someone with unbelievable results it can be easy like well they got there for a reason like, it didn't happen by accident, so obviously they must know what they're talking about. But like you said, like, there are a lot of factors that can go into that. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd say similar. Like, so my mom knows a lot of medical knowledge because she's been around medical field and stuff, but I wouldn't trust her to teach me how to do a surgery. You know, just because she could spout off some other things, you know, I wouldn't necessarily trust that. But I guess there is some things, like if someone ran a three-hour marathon – I'd probably kind of take their advice of what they did. But the hard thing is, is we don't know um, where they got that knowledge from, if it's based upon research and things of that nature. So it is challenging, I would say. Yeah. And all the other thing, too, on that topic is that, like, also, you know, it doesn't mean you're great at every aspect of it. Right. Because there might be stuff like, hey, well, I did this. And it worked for me. But that also, if you haven't tried something new, you don't know if the other thing would work for you. Right? And, and instead of speaking generally, I'll be like, all right, like, say someone is like, hey, when I ran marathons, like we didn't take any nutrition and I did fine. It's like, like that, that is like, first of all, that might be a fact, right? I'm not saying like, I'm not trying to disprove that. Like that's a fact. Say you didn't have any nutrition and you did run well. Again, those, that's a, that's a factual statement, but yep. that doesn't mean that like people should follow that or that you wouldn't have run better if you had had nutrition. Yeah. Right. Run so like, you can do the counter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. So uh, my father-in-law is actually, I mean, he believes in all the new science, but he broke a three-hour marathon multiple different times on zero nutrition, just the Coca-Cola that was on course. And yeah, that's great. That's awesome. But that doesn't mean we should still do that, right? We know better than that. Right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. That, I, I love this stuff. Sorry. So let's talk about like you're in the situation now and this is very different than you were before. We're like, all right, you, you were hired. What? And just so people know, what, what hospital are you working at now? Yeah, for sure. I could just give a quick recap. So for yeah. 2020, I was in residency. 
finished my residency at the end of 2022, and I got hired at Boston Children's Hospital and Beth Israel Deaconess Hospital here in Boston. So I do adult medicine and pediatric medicine, splitting my time between the two as a hospitalist. And so my wife and I, my wife's from Massachusetts, we moved back here. We have the most incredible kiddo in the world who is three years old, and he is just thriving. And yeah, my wife's a pediatrician, so we're just enjoying life here. But that's where I'm currently at right now. See, I love this. Now, we're really not talking about the, the exercise stuff yet, but like, that's fine because I think that it all leads into the same spot of like you doing amazing things and not being like, hey, I got gifted into this and like I hit the, like the genetic lottery or like all these other lotteries that like led to like this amazing stuff. Like the hospitals you just mentioned are two of the most well-known best hospitals in the country, if not the world. Like that is a unbelievable place to land. Um, so first of all, kudos to you. Like that is phenomenal. With that said, people don't know, like, it's not like you're like, hey, I went to, you know, I went undergrad Ivy and I went to Stanford and then I landed at Boston Children's Hospital. Like that is like a normal, not normal because that's still incredibly difficult, but like that is a more traditional path to that destination. So if give people like the little like, again, the little tidbit of like your medical journey, because I think that it leads into like the drive that is necessary to do the things that you're currently doing, because I think it, it, it's all part of this larger this larger picture. Yeah, I'd say it's all 1000% correlated and all works together. And so a little bit of background about me, uh, without going too much into the weeds, but we grew up crazy, crazy poor when I was a kid. So my parents combined income was around $12,000 per year for a family of five. And so we did not have much money. Uh, I saw my mom and dad work from sunrise to you know, sunset, work as hard as they possibly could. And throughout 12 years of doing that, their business finally became successful. So as a very young kid, I knew that if I wanted to be successful, I had to work like I saw my parents work. I had to have that drive and that passion for whatever it was that I was doing if I wanted to be successful. So at a very young age, that work ethic was instilled in me and I applied it to literally everything I did. And so with that, I you know finished high school as valedictorian. Even though I wasn't the smartest, I would wake up at five in the morning, start studying before even elementary school, before grade school, before high school, and then you know study late into the night just to make sure. Like people used to make a joke that my biology book was my girlfriend because of how often I was always studying. Um, and then. I, I really wanted to play football. It was not if those most- people could see your wife now, man. Like, thank you. Like, I, I, I know this because I did too. I married up. I know you did too, so I can oh, say yeah. stuff like that. But yeah. both of us married up. For definitely married up. Definitely married up. Um, and then also with uh, sports, I was never the most athletic, but I would work as hard as I could. I was fortunate enough to be able to go play uh, football at a small school in Kansas. So it was not an Ivy League school. It was just a small private college to play in AIA football and to get a biomedical chemistry degree. Again, I was extremely driven. I graduated in three years. And with that, I had a very high GPA, didn't think I needed to study for the MCAT. And so I didn't, which is a terrible decision um, and did terrible on it. But then that led me to go to a Caribbean medical school, which most people would say is like a death sentence. Like, oh my gosh, you're never going to get a residency position. You're never going to get a good job. Uh, But I trusted that that's where God was leading us. And I ended up meeting my wife there. We did very good throughout medical school. And then uh, that all of that and the work ethic that my parents taught me from a very young age and how I'd seen it develop success, even though I was unlikely to succeed, um, I just 
kept applying that to everything I did, and that's ultimately how I ended up, uh, you know, getting the jobs that I have now. I think through extreme work ethic and dedication, and doing things that I'm passionate about. No question about it. And this is a topic that I always want to talk about because when we talk about talent on this show, there's the obvious parts of athletic talent. We all see it. Whenever we're in the presence of it, it's obvious to us, right? We don't, someone who doesn't even know about a sport can see an obviously talented person and be able to pick it out, right, Mm -hmm. from a mile away. Um, With that said, I think there's more than just that. I think one of the biggest talents that I see, especially in endurance sports, is just like people who are fatigue resistant. And I don't think that only shows up in athletics itself. I think you can see it's just in everyday life. In fact, like my mother-in-law is in my house right now, like doing a project in my house. She is, you know, she's my mother-in-law. Like she's not a spring chicken. I'm 42 and so is my wife, right? So like, but she she sleeps like four hours a night and she is in constant movement. She's done that her whole life. Like she is not an athlete, but her fatigue resistance is off the charts. It is literally yeah. on a completely different planet. And I've used this example before. You strike me in a very similar way. And that short biography you just gave highlights every aspect of that. So just talk to me a little bit about like fatigue resistance, being able to go all day and how much of that is nature versus nurture and like the other components of like being studying stuff that you like. And it, it feels like there is a, a, a nature part of this as opposed to just it being like, hey, I just love what I'm doing. But also I'm not one of those people. So I don't know. Yeah, I, man, I'd say it's such a complex topic, and I think it's I think it's very likely multifactorial, right? I think that it needs to be doing things that you enjoy, but then you could argue, well, there's some people that could still endure even though they hate whatever it is, you know. And so I think that it is multifactorial. For me specifically, specifically, I would say part of it would be my upbringing and my background, seeing it demonstrated through me, or see it demonstrated by my parents that they had to be fatigue resistance if they wanted us to have food, right? And so like being able to see that. And then I would say like I started practicing this at a very young age. I mean, I was I was a six-year-old who would wake up early to study for a spelling test and then be I'm a parent of two kids who who had spelling tests at six years old and I can tell you they weren't doing that. (laughs) And it wasn't because I didn't want them to. (laughs) Yeah well I was I had the mindset like I could never miss a question. Like I wanted a hundred percent on everything. And also the other thing is like, not only was I with that with my school, but like at a young age, I was like an entrepreneur. I started selling Pokemon cards at recess. I'm not going to get into how I did it. It was a little, I was a little mischievous. Um, but like I started my first business when I was six, <laughs> you know, it's like, I was just like very driven. I think all of that's from my background. But then I also think that there's a part of it of practicing this. Like, you don't just become resilient or fatigue-resistant overnight. Like, it's just not like automatically you're there and you could go do an Ironman and never even think about it. Um, I think that it is building up that fatigue resistance over time and pushing yourself almost to that breaking point and then stopping so that you don't break, but then you built up more of that fatigue resistance and then going again. But not only just in sports, but in everything. So like when I was studying in medical school, I'd have to study for 10 hours a day. Day one, I could not do that. My brain capacity to study for hours was very small. But over time, by a year in, I could study for 10 hours and it'd feel like nothing. So same with athletics. It's just building that uh, fatigue resistance and reserve. Now, were your siblings the same way? No, completely different, right? (laughs) 
like, like I mean, they, I mean, this, 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 this is the point, right? Because like they had the same parents, <laughs> they grew up poor, they witnessed what your parents did. Maybe not the same extent you do it. Maybe you like internalized it more. I mean, we're all different, but it's like it's like this great case study of like, right? Well, like, are all the Martins doing this? Like, what's going on? Vastly, vastly, vastly different. Like my sister, she could care less like how she did. My older sister could care less how she did in school. She didn't really care. Um, You know, she was just like, whatever. Uh, But I will say that in their jobs that they do, they go all in. Like, and they do, they work as hard as they can. But I think that goes about the things that they enjoy. So that's another piece of it is everything that I do, I love. Like, I, it just, like, makes me crazy happy to wake up in the morning because I get to do all these things that I'm super pumped and passionate about. And I could go forever. <laughs> now, have you – first of all, it's obvious that that's the case. Um, have there been things that have been parts of your life in the past that maybe you thought were going to be, you know, a valuable piece or that you wanted to invest time that you were like, you know what, I just – I can't do this. And, like, you, you cut it quits on it. It seems like you're very determined and you, you really push and you, you've incorporated these things in your life. But is it just like, hey, I'm just batting a thousand. Everything I've tried, I've actually really liked. Or is it like you've grown to love them? Or are there things that you've pruned along the way that like weren't really fitting into it? And you're like, you know what? I just, I don't have, I, I can't do this. Like this, this is actually bringing me down. It's hurting this obvious positivity that you have. Um, and you've had to kind of like adjust along the way. You know, I would say that I'm very hard. It's very hard for me to say no to anything. Uh, so I will say that there probably are things that I started and then I was like, ah, I'm just too busy for this or ah, this isn't worth, you know, it is taking away too much. To think of something off the top of my head that was significant enough for me to remember, I don't necessarily think so. Um, I was trying to think. I mean, another thing you, also could be like you just be like iterating, right? So if you're like, hey, I started running and then you just iterated into triathlon. So it's not like you stopped running, but you were able to expand it to maybe something that you liked even more. I guess is another way of viewing it. Yeah. And another thing is like, if I like something, I'm like all in, it's just like, like way over the top, all in. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about how you're able to set yourself up for success in the demanding things that you do. Right. So being a parent is demanding. Your profession is incredibly demanding. Not only that, you have a huge commute to get to the profession, right? (laughs) Triathlon is extremely demanding, right? Even if someone's just like an amateur athlete, an amateur triathlete who doesn't even have a time goal, just putting in that, the the amount of time necessary per week to even accomplish some of the distances like an Ironman triathlon, even if you don't have a time goal, that's a lot of time. We're talking at least 20 hours a week for a lot of people, if not greatly more than that. There's only so many hours in a week. And if you're going to do this for the long term, you have to set yourself up for success. So tell me about some of the things that you do to set yourself up for success so that these long-term goals are accomplished and you don't go through this short-term, you know, I guess another way of talking is like, all right, how are you making sure that you're using like quality kindling to light this fire and it's not just like a whole mess of lighter fluid to like, (laughs) you know, that's going to burn up real fast. Yeah, for sure. So first off, um, just so the listeners know, I'm not like an elite athlete, um, but I will say that I'm a decent athlete. Uh, you know, you're a to... really good amateur athlete. We can say that. Yeah, you're there we a go. really good amateur athlete. That's where I'd put me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, 
I'd say like I'm good at a lot of things, but not great at anything. Uh, anyway, um, so with saying that, there's a couple things that I think I do for success. One is that I'm grounded in my faith. Okay, and I know that this isn't really talking about you know the sporting aspect of it, but to me, no, I love talking about this for people who are who are passionate about it. Like this is this is your life, and diving into all of the aspects that are relevant is is an important piece. Yeah, and so and the reason why that's so important to me is because my foundation being my faith means that doesn't change, right? Like that cannot be shaken, that cannot be taken away from me. That is what is my foundation. Whereas Iron Man could be taken away from me in a second. I could get injured and miss my A race. I could get I could get in a car accident and never be able to exercise again, right? And so like my foundation being in my faith, in my joy, in my happiness, although there are so many other things that bring me so much joy and happiness, that being the foundation and the source of my joy, I would say helps me immensely. And I would be nowhere I am today without that. And actually in every single race and everything that I do, there are so many scriptures that come to my mind that help me to keep going forward. And so that would be, I'd say, step number one. Uh, or my my number one. My number two would be, um, as Matt was saying, that I'm married to a beautiful woman, and I have a you know the best kiddo in the world. So having a spouse, and if you don't have a spouse, then you know it doesn't pertain to you right now. But my wife is so supportive. Like there is no way I could do anything that I'm doing without having a wife that is in my corner that is also striving to reach her own goals, that we can support one another, that we you know, have energy off of one, one another, just encouraging one another. So those would be my top two things to get started. Um, All right. I love that. Yeah. And your wife, again, is, is also a really good amateur athlete, right? It's yeah. not just like, hey, she supports your athletics and she does her own thing. Like, again, she's, you know, her Phoebe, right? Um, she, she's also an extremely good amateur athlete in her own right. And, uh, you know, kudos to her, uh, for doing that. And again, in, in even the same sports that you do, right? So there, there is yeah. a lot of overlap here. Um, but again, two triathletes living together. It's a lot. It's a lot, man. <laughs> it's, um, it's a lot. so, so how about, so th- that, that's, that's some great foundational support and you're absolutely right. That mental and emotional piece, if you have that, it makes the physical piece so much easier. Yeah. Um, with that said, it doesn't guarantee success in the physical side. Not at all. So, what are you doing to make sure that you are, you know, again, that you're not setting yourself up to like, okay, I ran hot and now like I'm crashing back down, right? I have long term goals. I want to do this for a long time. How are you making sure that that long term component is still available for you and that you don't burn the candle too hot? Yeah, for sure. So there's a couple of foundational. Or I just talked about the foundational things. There's a couple of pillars that I would say that help me to be successful in these things that I do. So one would be picking things that I enjoy to do, right? Because if you're going to sign up for a big event like this and you hate it, it's going to be very hard to do 20 hours a week of training of something you do not enjoy. Now it's possible, but it's going to be really, really hard, right? And so for me, I pick things that I truly enjoy. So right now, my goal is to hit a 1,200-pound powerlifting total in the same day as breaking a 10-hour Ironman. I love lifting weights. So that's bench, squat, deadlift, trio? Yes, yeah. Okay. And then the the Ironman, um, all in the same day. Uh, and I love all of those things, right? So for me to go train, I am pumped to go train every single day because like I'm so excited to get out there. So number one, pick something that you enjoy and then uh, – 
after that, I think it comes to more of the physicality stuff. So after you've decided whatever it is that you enjoy to do and you pick a race or an event or whatever your goals are for that, you make goals. Next would be make sure you have everything else in place. And I think the number one thing, and I would say like this is the secret weapon that is not talked about enough, and that is sleep. And I'm a hypocrite. I don't get enough sleep. But if you're not, if you, if you listen to what I say, you'll do so much better. But sleep seven to nine hours a night every single night. Uh, it does so much for you. It helps with your recovery. Helps uh, you to like maintain and build muscle. It helps regulate your appetite hor- uh, hormones so that you're not crazy hungry all the time and that you can be satiated. And so there's just so many added benefits to this, and it helps with longevity. So sleep is crucial. So I make a very strict schedule, and it starts with sleep. So for me, I block out seven hours of time, and that's the time that I'm gonna sleep. Okay. Um, on top of that, I would say that I pick nine o'clock. I go to bed at nine o'clock and wake up at 4 a.m. The reason for this, okay, and a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, why would you ever get up at 4 a.m.? That's ridiculous. You're, you're right, but between 4 and 6 a.m., the rest of the world is asleep. Those two hours are yours for whatever in the world you want to do, whatever your goals are. It could be writing a book. It could be painting this masterpiece. It could be anything in fitness. Those two hours are your golden hours to get as much done as possible. So just a brief recap, pick something that you love and that you're passionate about, set a goal, then get started with a strict schedule that starts with your sleep, hopefully going to bed at 9 p.m. and waking up at 4 a.m. Right, and I think the other the sleep part too, and this is something that I lost sight of, but also just like the sex hormone side mm-hmm. of this right like especially for someone who's doing as much lifting as you're doing right you're in a world where like having that higher testosterone level really helps with that sort of work and there's so many things that you get marketed to people like yourself in terms of like hey we can boost this and this and like it's even the cvs or stuff right it's, it's everywhere <laughs> everywhere but like it seems like the best way to maximize natural production of testosterone is sleep you know better than me you're the doctor but it seems like that's like a, a key function here sleep is like the best medicine for anything and everything. You know, like if, well, I shouldn't say that. Like obviously if someone is unfortunate and has to battle cancer, sleep's not going to cure Sometimes medicine is the best medicine. Right, yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> um, but I would say for daily things that you could do to maximize your health, sleep's probably the one of the best ones. So after that, a couple other things I'd say is proper nutrition, making sure that you're eating you know, good whole foods, but then also that you have your calories, like not too much in a, in a deficit, not too much in a surplus, that you're eating to fuel your body, and then having a proper structured training plan for whatever your specific goals are. I would say like those are all the main things uh, to prevent injury, to ensure your success, and to keep progressing. Considering how busy you are, is there is it even possible that you could have a surplus of calories? Like, like considering everything that you're doing, like I, I would think at, at at maximum you'd like hit hit like equal in terms of like <laughs> caloric input versus output. It's actually so. This is probably due to my lack of sleep, which I was talking about. So my hunger is extreme. Like I could eat more than I would say ninety five percent of people in the world or something, just because my hunger is so ravenous and a lot of it's because my activity level but then also my lack of sleep. Whenever I start getting good seven to nine hours of sleep, truthfully throughout time, my appetite's a lot better. But in saying all of that, it is hard for me to actually maintain my weight and not gain weight. I also think that is some uh, genetics because obesity runs in my family. Majority of people in my family are obese. 
And so I think there is a part of that as well. Uh, but yeah, so it's really hard. I actually, there's this new test out, small plug for a company that I work with, um, but I, it's uh, called Calorify and they give me my exact caloric burn. And so my, what do you think my daily calorie allowance is? In terms of how many calories do you burn in a day? Like how many can I eat every single day and just stay the same weight? So yeah, pretty much. All right, um, five to 6,000. Uh, that was it wasn't bad. So I was actually forty around forty five hundred. All right, and and you prompted me because so I I guess on the low end, if you had if you had not gone into the spiel first and you just asked me like the beginning of the podcast, I would have said closer to eight thousand. Eight thousand. Sure. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. Well, because because I, I know like Michael Phelps talked about like he needed ten again. Maybe this is an exaggeration, but yeah. he talked about like in prime again. Michael Phelps again. This is a different category altogether, but like he needed ten thousand calories in a day. Yeah. Right. But at the same time. When he wasn't swimming, he was laying down, right? Like he he wasn't he needed to lay down. First of all, it was the right thing for him to do, right? Yeah. If you listen to like any to like rise the Tour de France, if they're not on their bike, they're laying down. They even have a they even have a slogan they're like if you can sit, lay down, yeah, right. If you can if you're standing, sit down, yeah, right. Like it's always like less, do less, do right. But you're not in that situation, so like that's the thing. It's like someone can just be a doctor, work at an eight to twelve hour shift, and be, and need way more than 2,000 calories just on that alone, not only the physical fatigue, yep. but as, as they've seen with, with um, testing of chess champions, like the mental fatigue. Right? There's people who sit down, play a four-hour chess match, yep. and they burn 3,000 calories You're just burning. because the brain is yeah. consuming the calories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's, it's insane. So I would say like my average intake a day, which I'm trying to lose a little bit of weight for my goals that I have this fall, I, I eat around 4,500 calories a day. Right. And it's not like you can just, it's not like you're just sitting in the, like your kitchen counter, like eating all day. Like you have to like plan this out, I'm assuming. Right. Yeah. I, I plan most of my meals, but I also can eat a lot in one setting. So if for some reason I was too busy and didn't get to eat, I could easily eat 4,500 calories in one setting. This is a fun topic that I know a lot of people um, pontificate about on both sides of your athletic yeah. journey, on the, on the strength side and on the endurance side. And that is kind of the antipathy for the other side, not for, <laughs> not for those people necessarily, but like the idea that doing those other activities, again, no matter which side of the spectrum you're on, will hurt the other side, right? So if you're like the endurance athlete, and I had this conversation with Patrick Cutter and some other people, like, hey, what are you doing lifting all that weight? Like, you know, that's, don't you realize that's not going to like help you maximize your time as an endurance athlete? And then conversely, if you're out there lifting as much as you are, you're an extremely strong individual, like, what are you doing spending 20 hours like doing endurance <laughs> sports? Like, obviously that's going to hurt. Talk to me about how you make the decisions you make from an athlete perspective in a sense where like, like optimizing one particular sport isn't the um, hallmark or primary focus of what you're doing. Yeah, so everything I've talked about is about your passions, right? And so I'm passionate about all of these things, and I want to continue to do all of these things. And so for me, a good goal was what's something that I am afraid of, that I don't think that I can do, that I could set as a goal and work as hard as I possibly can and see if I can achieve it. And if I can't, then at least I did everything I possibly could and achieved my maximum potential, right? And so for me, it's just about doing what I love doing and doing the best I can at it. Now, I will say that there's obviously two trains of thought. One is that you should not strength train if you're gonna do endurance sports as that your strength training is gonna hinder your endurance sports and vice versa. And Truthfully, 
I would say it depends on to what extent you take both of those, right? So if you take Olympic runners, do they strength train? Yeah, yeah they do. I completely right? agree with that because I think the, the key here too is like, all right, while that may be factually accurate, it's also accurate only up to like a certain point, right? If you're someone who's like maximizing like the other 95% of your life, then yeah, maybe if like you're also lifting a ton of weight for that, like maybe you can't get to that last 5%. But the vast majority of people aren't like completely optimizing their endurance life to the point where like they need every little one to 2% that they can get. Like I use like the, the floor analogy, like for a building, right? If like a hundred floors is like the top of your athletic peak, most people are at like the 40th floor, right? So like who cares if like your athletic peak goes from 100 floors to 95 floors if you're on the 40th floor, right? There's so <laughs> yeah. much room to go. Like you don't need to worry about that, right? It's kind yeah. of like the I can't get my my um it's like being like, "All right, I know I know the key to my success. I need Normatec boots." It's like, "No, dude, you need to run more than 30 <laughs> miles a week." Like you let's let's stop don't worry about the Normatec boots right now. Let's look let's focus on like the easy wins that we can build up. To, to, to get to that point and not worry about like these, you know, half percent gains that can come from these other things. That was so funny and so true. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I agree completely with that. Now, would I be a better runner if I would not weigh 185 pounds? Potentially, you know, like m all of my muscle mass probably doesn't make me the absolute best runner. But it, uh, I'm okay with that, right? But there is there's a lot of research that shows that strength training or cardiovascular activity actually benefits strength training and vice versa. So they don't have to be completely opposing. Um, same with triathlon, right? Like, it, do I need the size of arms that I have to do, you know, to be able to perform triathlons? No. Everyone in the world would say that's this, you know, like that's not advantageous to have big arms and to be as aero as possible, right? Like it just doesn't make any sense. But for me, that's my goals. And I'm willing to take that sacrifice in triathlon a little bit to do my other goals that I enjoy doing. Right. Which feeds into the whole pie, right? So like, yeah. if you don't like what you're doing, then you're not going to be, you're not going to maximize your athletic performance anyway. Right. So what are we talking about? Right. right. So yeah. if you're like, Hey, like go to this, you know, so you're like, Hey, go to this, this track. It's near your house. You don't have to worry about like, you know, you, you run like a mile and a half more because you have to worry about the commuting time if you go to this track. You're like, well, I hate that track. I like this other track. It's 20 <laughs> minutes away and maybe I run a mile and a half less, but like I love the experience and the views are amazing and the people there are great. And it's like, okay, like, yeah, you ran a mile and a half less every day, but like you enjoyed the experience and make it sustainable versus like, oh my God, I run this place and I hate it. And like, I'm not going to be doing this in six months if I like, you know, if I, if I hate what I'm doing. Right. And that workout was probably better because you enjoyed it so much. So your um, work capacity and your work output during that session was probably so much better. One thing um, that I'll add to this, because a lot of people are probably asking this, so like, okay, well then what do I do? Do I strength train and run? Do I run and then strength train? How do I put all this together? And ultimately what I'd say is if you are an endurance athlete, you should strength train. And, and if you are in strength training only, you should do some sort of cardiovascular activity. But the way you approach these are vastly different. If your main focus is endurance sports, then that needs to be your A workout of the day, no matter what, right? And then you strength train when you can or on top of that, or ideally eight hours apart. If not, just sometimes after your endurance exercise. Vice versa, if you are a strength athlete, then your strength exercises should be your A workouts for the day. Now, of course, a little bit of cardio to get warmed up and then maybe 
cardio later in the day or after your strength training session. So you could definitely do both, but whatever your main goals are, that's what you need to prioritize. And do you think the emphasis that you put on strength training also has led you to be a durable athlete? Because like, I think, for, especially for endurance athletes, like strength training might just be like, hey, I'm just doing this to make sure I don't get injured. And like that can be enough. And that can be a really good reason to do it. Obviously, you're engaging with strength on a completely different level and for, and for the reasons that you mentioned. But I would have to think that it would also help serve that other piece. Yeah, I think so. I think with, you know, like every everything that you do, you have the muscle and the strength capacity to, I would say, endure longer. Now, one could also argue, though, yeah, but if you were 30 pounds lighter, your body wouldn't be taking so much of a beating when you're running all the time. You know, so I think there's two different sides of the camp, um, but I think it makes me more of a durable athlete, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and there's been a lot of research, too, on like the fact that like weight doesn't play a huge part in, in running performance. I mean, if you're, if you're climbing a bike, if you're, if you're running a bike up like Alpe d'Huez in France, like every, every ounce matters. That's why yeah. they like, they'll throw, like they only have like their, their water bottles on the bike. They throw them to the side of the road. Cause you're climbing a mountain, weight matters a lot. But if you're just mm-hmm. going on a normal road and you're running or biking, like it doesn't play as big of a deal. And right. you know, it's just, it's just, uh, you know, especially if you're a durable athlete, like it's in, it doesn't really matter. In fact, it probably yeah. helps. Right. And if you look at Christian Blumenfeld, if uh, if some of your listeners listeners may know him, he's one of the best triathletes. Some would say maybe ever, um, but he's pretty new. But probably one of the best triathletes right now, at least. He's actually not the lightest, and people would argue that he's on the heavier side for a triathlete. I think he he's somewhere between like 165 to 175 pounds, and for and he runs a 230 marathon. Right. You know, at the after, it, after six hours of exercise. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it's just mind blowing. So I, I would agree with that, that for me, my weight, I don't care too much about it. But when I did the Ironman World Championships in St. George that had 7,500 feet of elevation, it crushed me on the bike. Right. My bike time was so slow because I had so much more weight that I had to carry up all that elevation. Uh, I did hit 50 something miles per hour going down the hill though, which was pretty awesome. Yeah, there you go. That's nice. Um, yeah. All right, Tommy, you are a super busy guy. I really appreciate you coming on, doing a follow-up episode. I love talking to you. It always is good. And when I, I was like, you've been such a good guy. Like, we need to go for a run. And I've like put you off because you're so much faster than me. And I get a little self-conscious <laughs> with that stuff. But I definitely do want to meet up with you for a run um, in the near future. But Tommy, thank you so much for coming on the show. Is there anything you want to plug before we get going? You know, the last thing I would just say is just like to all the listeners, um, set goals that scare you and give it everything that you have. Work as hard as you can with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and try to accomplish them. And if you can't, and if you don't, then at least you know you you got out of yourself everything you possibly can. Sorry, I'm gonna ramble on a little bit. Something that motivates me every single day is my son. My son has a crazy rare genetic disorder. And everything he has to do is extremely hard to learn how to walk, to learn how to talk, to learn how to do all these things that we all take for granted, or I know I did as a kid, but yet I see him work with absolutely everything he possibly can just to do things we do on a daily basis and take for granted. So that motivation that if he's working that hard just to do these other things, I need to work that hard in literally every opportunity or every privilege that I have because it's not fair not to. Um, so whatever your motivation is, think about it, dwell on it, work as hard as you can, and go accomplish those goals. You're the man, Tommy. Well said. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks, Matt.